There's no doubt that in our industry, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all solution. Your organization might use paper-based plans and they might work well, but today we're going to talk about a more automated approach. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 91 of the Resilient Journey podcast presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week we focus on five tools that you might want to consider to strengthen your response protocols. We talk to leaders and principals of organizations that offer tools that help organizations prepare for, be aware of, and respond to disruptive events. This week we're talking about business continuity, crisis management, proactive threat monitoring, mass notification, and out-of-band virtual bunkers. Similar to what they say on TV, ask your resilience professional if these tools are right for you. As I mentioned in the open, this week we're going to take a look at five tools that you as a business continuity or resilience professional might want to consider. Now look, this isn't an endorsement of the vendors per se, although I do think very highly of all of them. This is more about introducing you to some of the ideas that you might not have considered and suggesting some cross-use ideas where a combination of these solutions might be an interesting approach. We start with business continuity software. I talked with Marie-Hélène Primo, EVP at Premier Continuum, about Para Solutions, and we kicked off that conversation by speaking with one of their users, Sanad Sahajek. He's the director of business continuity management at Omer's. I asked Sanad about the benefits of using business continuity software. I utilized actually Pair Solution uh, when I stood up a, a program, really a net new program at a previous uh, client. And you know, one thing I just sort of want to, I guess, preface before I say what I do like about uh, using, you know, business continuity software versus the traditional Excel, Word, SharePoint kind of world is, you know, I, I, I think it's important to always emphasize one size does not fit all, right? So I think hmm. if we're talking to maybe a smaller size organization, it may not be as appropriate. But I think certainly when we're talking about a mid to, mid to large size, I, I, I have to say the, the biggest piece that I, I think is, is beneficial is the amount of leverage it gives you in terms of spending time on what's really important. And yes, administrative tasks are important, but you know, deeper dive analysis on the true resiliency of an organization is important. Uh, absolutely important is empowering the business continuity champions and leads so that they actually, you know, if they don't look forward to updating their plans and looking at the BIAs, at least they don't dread it and you make it as easy as possible. And I think finally for me, a, a big piece is the capability of time of crisis, um, which I'll speak to further on. But I think, it, again, it empowers a response that is concentrating on the actual response rather than did they get the right binder and is it, is it out of date or is it the updated binder? Sanad went on to talk about the impact of digital plans on key stakeholders. You know, one of the one of the things that I, I found, uh, especially over the last five six years, is that you know if you're speaking to let's say your crisis management team, which is you know generally let's you know be honest senior level people, mm-hmm. they don't want to be fumbling with again maintaining paper plans. They've already started to have moved deeply into a digital world, so they're looking for that digital solution. And this really empowers it, especially you know if you if you pick a provider that has a robust uh, mobile app as well. I think that's a, a crucial piece as well when it comes to that response capability. But again, it goes deeper than that. As I said, for for the the empowering of, of your partners, which are your business business continuity champions or leads, 
again, making making this as painless as possible and making all the data and the plans and information that you have transparent and accessible to them, again, just will improve your, your resilience and your continuity capability. Marie Elaine talked about how using business continuity software can help organizations that might need some guidance when it comes to business continuity management. Yeah, and, and that's actually something, you know, in terms of the misconceptions that people think, you know, sometimes they think that if they do go with a software that they do need to take the the, the soft the suppliers methodology. Um, mm. So that's good because it does provide you some guidance as to what's expected and the steps to follow. But on the other hand, some consultants or some people in the industry may be doing things differently. So I think it's important that the tool is there to assist you in following best practices, but also take in consideration your reality. And Marie, I would assume using tools like this can help reduce the amount of disruption, which is also a cost factor too, right? Of course, by better understanding what your vulnerabilities are, you can actually better invest. And and sometimes you even may uh, realize that you're over-investing in some areas. So that can also be a benefit so that you allocate the resources uh, accordingly. Like if people could, like, should you be maintaining a uh, secondary uh, work location or let's say if you're, you need to be high availability for your IT solutions. So definitely that. Another tool worth considering is crisis management software. I spoke with Chris Britton. He's the co-founder of RockDove Solutions, an organization that produces a tool called In Case of Crisis. I asked him how crisis management software helps customers versus using traditional paper-based plans. One of the things that's happened, I mean, we all have uh, either had or have, hopefully, crisis plans in place today. Um, and one of the challenges that's, that's started to kind of seep into our, our environment is that what used to be a very rare occurrence of a crisis or an incident that would disrupt the organization at some level uh, seems to now be a re- regular steady thing. And so organizations are being challenged now not only to create and, and formalize plans around the scenarios that they feel most exposed to, but have good systems in place to actually execute a response and potential recovery. And to that end, what we've found is that traditional paper plans are great at organizing thought and intention, but when it comes to action and uh, actually executing and becoming operational and, and integrating with business process, uh, the plans are nothing more than a reference material and are easily outdated and are often not in the hands where they need them, when they need them. Chris talked about the capabilities that organizations should look for when selecting a crisis management platform. So with that in mind, we, we think that what you need to have in a crisis management software and where we are focused is starting number one with a complete operating picture. At all times, both before, during, and after a disruption, we need management and the folks on the ground to be able to have a complete operating picture. So one of the things we think is critical to an effective solution or platform approach is having a system like that in place. The second is 
we need to make sure that the solutions that we bring together are truly designed to bring together all of the areas of the business that need to be involved, that need to be coordinating, communicating, collaborating into mm -hmm. one view. So bringing them together is the other key element. Then the third item is with any type of management system approach, one of the things we have to be doing is being able to provide automation and workflow. So speeding up and making more efficient the way that organizations can respond and making sure it's repeatable and it's a best practice. And he talked about the importance of playbooks. The next thing which you hit on was playbooks. So playbooks can support really a couple of different key areas in your program. Number one, playbooks are a fabulous resource to provide to your stakeholders. One of the biggest complaints we've heard through survey, through direct engagement with clients is that uh, playbooks are, are a big challenge if they're not delivered in an actionable, easy and accessible way to stakeholders. They, they don't mind the idea of getting a notification, hey, there's an active shooter in the building. But with a notification like that comes a tremendous amount of requests for information. Hmm. And who do I call? How, what should I be doing? What, are, what steps should I be following? How, how do I report my update of where I am for reunification? Where do I go to reunify? Where do I meet family members? Where, there's just so much information in every scenario that can arise. So we look at playbooks in two fashions. A playbook that you give to the stakeholder ahead of time as a preparedness tool. And then we have what we call playbooks that are actionable and delivered around the event itself that come as a rich notification so that instead of just getting that soundbite, yeah. you, you, you got a problem. We're giving them, here's a problem and here's the first set of information you need. Oh, and we're gonna have more information coming as the team has updates automatically refreshing. So you as a stakeholder are constantly part of the information set. It's great because playbooks can be designed and delivered to discrete audiences um, as what they need for their, their role, their, their location, their scenario. So you can make them highly uh, focused uh, elements. So those two types of playbooks are great. And stakeholders to us means your employees, it means your supply chain, it means your, your uh, board of directors, your executives, because they all are information constituents that need to be kept in the loop on things as they're evolving and developing. We talked earlier about leveraging multiple platforms and in case of crisis, utilizes another tool that you might want to consider. It's called TX360 from Swan Island Networks. I talked with Pete O'Dell, their CEO, about their real-time situational awareness and threat monitoring tool and how it works in conjunction with crisis management. Well, what you're really trying to accomplish is, is not flying blind. So, you know, when you think about flying an airplane, when you think about navigating almost anything, 
you get this concept of situational awareness, which is, you know, what's going on around me? You know, what could what circumstances are happening? Where am I going? What could change? And how do I make sure that I give myself the, the, the most amount of time to react when something goes wrong? And, and the proactive intelligence that, that we, we provide really is aimed at that. It's finding out emergent threats of things that could be very impactful to the organizations that we work with and feeding them that information so that they can take a, a more uh, proactive and, and better response to those issues, you know, maybe preventing them, certainly mitigating some of the issues so it's not quite as bad, but then also feeding intelligence into the response that they have to do by being a warm start and being up to date. I ask Pete, when it comes to threat monitoring, what types of threats or disruptions are they looking for? It, it's, it's unique to each organization. So if, if, you're a, if you're a single factory in a single state and you don't have a global supplier network, it may be you know, weather, local crime, and things that are happening right, right in your small city. In other cases, you know, with a multinational company, they've got you know, facilities around the world where you know, basically the sun never sets on their empire. They have threats coming from a number of different places. And what we typically, you know, work with companies, we're a tactical tool, but we, we you know, we, we advise companies to do, you know, ERM planning, to, to look at building a threat matrix, you know, getting the board of directors involved, setting the tone at the top for, you know, we want to be a proactive organization. We want to head off threats at the pass and protect ourselves as best as possible because we've got people's lives, we've got property, we've got our brand and continuity, all of which depend upon being ready for something bad that that uh, happens. Easy to be ready when something good happens, right? You just break out the champagne. But but you know, getting ahead of the bad things is is really a critical element. And thinking about what those are for your organization is one of the key first steps before you uh, you get involved with it. A proactive intelligence capability. Pete likes to use the term left of boom, and I ask him what he meant by that. Sure. So, so the whole the whole idea of left of boom and right of boom, um, you know, there's there's several parallels. But but if you think about boom as a bad thing, right, and that could be a, a that could be a sailboat boom coming at you, right? Knowing it's coming is really a good thing because if you've ever gotten hit by one, they they t- tends to be very painful. Um, and you know you don't see the right of boom in that case because you're probably unconscious. But, <laughs> but 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 when it's an explosion, when it's a shooting, whether it's a bad weather, whether whether it's a, a critical supplier has materials out in the middle of the Pacific being held up by a typhoon, any of those things that have a huge impact on your organization, um, and and sometimes it's not even huge, right? If if the street outside of your uh, facility is suddenly blocked by a three car accident and everybody's knocking it to work for an extra hour, that can be impactful as well. So it does become situational, and you can take those, you know, you can take those incidents as the sooner you know about them, the uh, the better. And then you know, and then in fact, we're, we're that's where we spend most of our focus is is reporting things that are coming, but at the same time. During a an extended event like a hurricane or, or other things, we also provide ongoing intelligence about what's going on inside of a major event. And we can feed that on a very smooth basis to the tools you use for response and, and crisis uh, communications. Any list like this has to include a very popular crisis-related product, mass notification. 
and I was joined by Jeff Brainard from Regroup Mass Notification Systems, and I asked him to talk about mass notification. What clients are looking for initially right off the bat is something that's going to allow them to communicate in unexpected events. So um, severe weather, uh, some kind of um, you know disruption, like as a result of demonstrations where we have to close the office. Uh, and you know, a lot of times they'll have had some sort of near miss or they've dealt with something recently that that really did affect them. And reaching out to these these employees or these stakeholders was was tedious or ineffective or both. Um, and so they want a way of broadcasting these messages out. Um, and you know, typically once people start looking at that, they 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 start to gather in additional ways they can leverage a tool like this. So it could be also with IT outages. It could be, you know, with um, a remote workforce and, and getting notifications to them about getting back in the office or new policies if they haven't been in the office for a while. Um, and, you know, of course, we all have things that hopefully we never have to deal with, like workplace violence um, in those really severe incidents that, you know, hopefully most of us don't have to, ever use a system for, but you want a tool as an insurance policy. Mass notification systems have certainly evolved. I remember when we used to think about connecting with people using SMS, uh, email, and phones, but it's grown a lot in recent years. Yeah, so that's exactly typically what people think of is, okay, mass notification equals email, SMS, phone call, um, but it can go a lot farther than that. If you look at the tools that we're using, especially in this post-pandemic world, a lot of organizations have adopted using things like Slack or MS Teams. Uh, we can push notifications into those different chat channels that wow. an organization might have. Um, another option is simply taking over a workstation with uh, a desktop alert where you could, you know, it could be a full screen takeover in some events uh, where I want to evacuate that building and I need people's attention immediately, or, you know, it might be something not quite as urgent where I run a marquee like you would see on a news station that scrolls across the bottom. Um, so those are a couple of ways. But then, you know, typically, if you look at it, depending on the organization, um, they, their buildings, which were probably all put together at different times and acquired at different times by different people, often they have existing mass notification hardware. So these could be things like paging systems or digital boards, digital signage, you know. And so one of the great things about a tool like this is you can also unify what tend to be really disparate systems. So if there are sirens in that building, signage, uh, paging systems, even fire alarms, these can all be tied together so that when I broadcast a message, I have the ability to do that just from a couple taps on my mobile app. And that's going to activate all those disparate systems as well as reach people on their phone. Um, and then for some organizations, you know, we also have a mobile app. This is another way of reaching people. And it's a really effective way um, in terms of reliability, a push notification to a mobile app. Um, because it's coming through the other side of the mobile infrastructure through the data side, it, it gives you a little bit more uh, or a little bit of redundancy, which is always good when you're talking about continuity. So, um, you know, the more methods and modalities of reaching people uh, in an emergency, the more effective a tool like this is going to be. I'm glad we talked about that because I was approaching this from the perspective of 
SMS, email, phone calls, but you've just really expanded everything here. And the idea of using like a, a digital messaging board on the wall, I mean, think of a scenario where it's an active shooter and you don't necessarily want to maybe broadcast anything. Um, you can certainly still do the traditional SMS and, and phone messages, but to be able to put uh, a message on a digital wall that says active shooter in the lobby and, you know, whatever the instructions are, man, that's, that's huge. Yeah. What and even, the- even for certain work environments, Mark, so we have um, some clients where in some uh, certain departments, depending on the type of work that's being done, they simply can't have phones. Um, hmm. But, you know, they have other folks that, that do have phones. So those people, um, you know, in a, in a, you know, working in a food processing plant, for example, there's probably existing uh, paging systems or digital signage. And so for reaching that segment of the workforce at those moments, you know, having everything connected is really critical. Finally, I want to introduce you to something that you might not have considered. I met with Nick Scazzaro. He's the co-founder and CEO of Shadow HQ. Shadow HQ is an out-of-band virtual bunker. It's a tool that allows organizations to have a safe repository for plans and templates, and it alerts the crisis management team of an incident and allows them to meet and collaborate. It certainly adds a unique approach to continuity and crisis response. And I asked Nick what his goals were regarding that tool. So actually, Mark, the concept is pretty simple. Um, In the event of a large-scale attack or outage, uh, perhaps even the doomsday scenario, uh, Shadow HQ is your backup virtual bunker built for IR teams to communicate, share real-time updates, access critical documents during that crisis, considering your primary systems are down or the accounts that power your cloud systems are compromised. Um, The critical assets that you would want your backups would be like your IT playbooks or runbooks, um, press releases, insurance documents, or or any other of, of those type of documents. We talked about how Shadow HQ can gather the team quickly and easily. Yeah, that's one of the the bigger features, um, all kind of under the umbrella of making things happen quicker. Uh, Call trees can be tricky, uh, especially within a a big organization. Um, So in these crises and and these incidents, we all know time is of the essence. So alerting and engaging your team has to be instant, and we do a pretty good job of doing that. Uh, There's no fumbling around for dial-ins or passwords or web web conference links. Rather, just ongoing immediate notifications and communications um, at the press of a button. Uh, A lot of our alerts and and, um, notifications are multi-channel. So it's email, push notification, and SMS alerts. And our commitment is to wake your incident team up at 2 a.m. just by pulling the alarm, so to speak. When you say pulling the alarm, what, what, what do you mean by that? It's that, um, you know, when that incident starts, uh, you know, that that first team member or um, uh, coach who's initiating the incident just simply has to fill out a form. It's, it's, it's a quick summary or a brief that informs the rest of the team of what's going on. And as soon as they hit uh, send, uh, the series of alerts go out uh, against that multi-channel, as I mentioned, um, and it just summons everyone to the bunker uh, to, to, to get working. At the beginning of this episode, Sanad mentioned the need to be able to access plans quickly and easily at time of crisis. 
and Shadow HQ helps with that too. Yeah, exactly, Mark. Um, and, and thanks for bringing that up. Uh, the inspiration behind this brings me back to my days at BlackBerry uh, when I was on the disaster recovery team. Uh, if I'm able to share, I, I was given two thick binders and I was told to keep one in my car and one in my home and never be 20 minutes away from them. Um, there had to be a better way. So if I fast forward about 15 years, um, and as a software company, not only is paper bad for business, but there's also privacy concerns, having those things printed um, and being lost. Um, and, and not to mention even available. So it's important to have all of those critical assets um, uh, just available and, and accessible when you need them. Um, so whether it's your playbooks and as you mentioned, the press releases, um, vendor documents, insurance certificates, uh, all of that can be stored and encrypted in, in Shadow HQ. So uh, you're, you're not scrambling looking for those things um, they're already just at your reach uh, in your crisis response. So there are five tools that you might want to consider if you want to bolster your business continuity, resilience, or crisis management response. Business continuity software, crisis management software, real-time threat monitoring, mass notification, and an out-of-band virtual bunker. All pretty good ideas. And I'd like to know what tools you're using when it comes to managing your business continuity, resilience, or crisis management program? Let us know in the comments. A huge thanks to my guests this week, Marie-Elaine Primo, Sinad Sahajic, Chris Britton, Pete O'Dell, and Nick Scazzaro, as we talked about tools that you might want to consider to bolster your business continuity, resilience, and crisis management programs. The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production. Next week, we have an important conversation as I'm joined by Vince Davis, and we talk about racial inequality in the International Association of Emergency Managers in the United States. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.